Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. How many are thankful that the word of truth, I say this so often, is attenuated by the uh, spirit of truth? The spirit of truth is sort of the activator of the word of truth, or the Holy Spirit activates the word of God. What I mean, if you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and you read that, and you start in verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul is making reference to a passage of Scripture in Jeremiah. And it's where God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And by the way, beloved, please hear me. I don't have time to get into this. I will probably in in the next two or three weeks. But there is so much taught for the last two or three decades about the power of generational curses. In other words, where Scripture says the sins of the fathers will be visited on the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the fiftieth generations. But as we come to the prophets, we find, by the way, thank you, son. But let me tell you something. I met Dan 20, how many, 25 years ago? A long, a long time ago in a music store in Fort Myers, Florida, before we ever moved here, either one of us. And unbeknownst to me, there would be a connection in that store. And, and then he would move here and actually lived with us for about a year until I finally got rid of him. And... Uh, <laughs> And, I, I, you know, here, here comes, I, I, want you, I want you to see the power of thanks. And I didn't do this, but I just realized what I'm doing here. And I didn't do it intentionally, I promise. You just caught my attention when I was listening to him play and how thankful I am for the grace and the gift, hold on, on his life. Hold on. In subtle ways that just flows out of who he is. If you know him, I've always said about him, he's a Nathaniel in whom is no guile, as Jesus would say. He said, Behold Nathaniel, one in whom is no God. He really is a poster child for that. But just the way in subtle fashion that that grace just flows out. When he's playing and nobody's singing, I'm just talking. I'm thinking, could you just play the whole time I preach? You know, and, but as we start, this is a cool point. And again, I, I didn't do it for this reason. It was genuine. But I'm just so thankful to have worship leaders like him, musicians and pastoria and others, that, 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 that we maybe just often take for granted. Can we just give thanks right now? Just stay right there. Give thanks. He doesn't ever demand. He doesn't ever demand a place. He doesn't ever demand significance. He doesn't ever demand to be first. He'll serve in the back in the cracks and crevices. And today, boy, Lord help me. All right, that's it. You can go away. Um, (laughs) That's all the nice things I'm going to say about you today. Did you sense, can I just ask this? Not that our emotions are the final test of anything, but did you just sense what happened? Just the, the something, the something that began to fill the room when all I did was turn and begin authentically to say thank you or to offer th- thanksgiving. I have this one sermon, and I'm actually following the counsel of my wife because this was one sermon for today. I took the advice of my wife 
on the way out the door. And so this will become all five weeks. Did you just hear her say hallelujah on the front row? <laughs> okay, Hannah, you're going to have to follow me from place to place here. I want to go to those first three words of Eucharistia, Charis, those, that little, if you can find those. I told you it wouldn't be it. That's it. This is the word for thanksgiving in the, in the Greek language in the New Testament. Eucharistia. You, matter of fact, you hear it, Eucharist. This is the word, Eucharistia, thanksgiving. Everybody say thanksgiving. Now, if you'll notice this word, go ahead to the next one, please, that right, that the word for grace is charis. Now, around here, we understand to be grace is a dynamic force. Everyone look at me. Grace shows up in the New Testament a little over 180 times, but in culture, we use the grace, word grace to represent the niceness of something. You know, um, if, if you, oh, that was so gracious of you. Um, you know, that's the niceness of somebody. And so we have adapted much of our theology, watch this, on what the Bible notion of grace is, but we interpret it through the lens of culture, how we use the word. And so as we come to the New Testament, we read grace and we're saying, oh, that's the niceness of God. Or as I've said a thousand times this way, it's the cosmic frosting of the divine that God smears across the pile of sin <laughs> that otherwise stinks horribly. That is not what grace is. Grace is not the cosmic frosting or niceness of God. Grace is a dynamic force. And we've seen the little, uh, uh, next week I'll probably show it to you again for the hundredth time, the little animation of grace being the pushback force it pushes back against sin in, in our life. And um, that just has moved to a whole new level. So that's what grace does. Grace is the pushback of the force of God against sin in our life. And I don't mean, watch this, I don't mean the last bad thing I did. In other words, we treat sin as a list of things, and certainly sins, plural, are things I do, but sin without that is, the, is that force of evil, of spiritual forces and darkness working against the overall destruction of humanity. And into that, <laughs> it said that the light we saw it last week shines in darkness. What did that light look like? We beheld the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. He came back and pushed back the choking realities of the darkness and force of sin, and he still does that every day in our lives. So it's important that we get that. But here is, here is watch this, grace creates a space. I've got five or six definitions. Grace creates a space where we can encounter redemption. That's an important statement. It pushes back against sin and creates the opportunity, whether, whether it's the first time I ever said yes to Jesus and accepted him as Savior, or one of the 50,000 times where I said, Father, I need to appropriate your, your promise and purpose in my life. I need to redeem yet another area of my life. Well, grace is at work creating that space. It's a nuclear strike from heaven 
Everybody get that? It just blows hell back and creates a space where, okay, now, God, you can do something right here. That's the force of grace at work. But watch what happens if we can go to the next. If you'll notice, right in the middle of the word thanksgiving is that word. And for five years, I've said this to you, five or six, that there's never a point at which we offer thanks or thanksgiving that there is not grace released into that moment. When Pastor Dan was standing there and I was offering, I wasn't just saying nice things about him. I was offering sincere thanks for the gift of God, for the fruit, not only the gift of the Spirit at work in him, but the fruit of the Spirit at work in him. And did you sense something? It, it just began to sort of flow into the room. You can't invent that. Listen, you won't have that by reason of flattery. That flattery does not do that. Just offering a nice compliment. But a genuine expression of thanks. Now, where I'm going to go is during this season, we're headed towards Thanksgiving. And I'm starting a week earlier than I normally, normally would. But I was talking to Pastor Ria on the phone last week just about Thanksgiving and going back and forth. And she goes, oh, you need to start that next week. I said, you know what? I think I will. And I pushed aside what I had for this week. But I want to talk to you about transforming thanks. Everybody say transforming thanks. When I offer thanks, it releases grace into my life, into this moment. Now that sets up some problems because Paul tells us to be thankful, rejoice and give thanks two different ways. For all things, in all things. See, we want to use one to the exemption of the other. Well, I give thanks in it, but not for it. Can't get around it. Why, why would he say that? Because thanks invites grace into those very adverse situations. Why would he say give thanks for all things, Diane? And see, why, why wouldn't we come and say, watch this. Father, I, I, I give thanks for that cancer. What? Wait! Hold it! Are you serious? Why? Because we're, we celebrate its presence? No. Thanks is the means by which grace is unleashed in my life. Grace is the force of God that working. Lord, I do not understand what I'm walking through, where I'm walking through, but I'm going to give thanks in it and I'm going to give thanks for it because thanks is the means by which I remind hell, watch this, of the last time they tried and failed. Thanksgiving is a reminder to hell. So I begin, okay, in it and for it, how do I do that? Father, I'm standing here today with this reality in my body. But Lord, I have a testimony. I have a testimony of two years ago, five, 10, 20, where I prayed about this and I saw it happen. And Father, I'm inviting the reality of that last and failed attempts of hell, and I'm giving thanks that heaven overcame. I'm giving thanks for the grace of God that was manifest in my life and pushed back and wouldn't give a place for those things in my life. See, we don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. But here's what's going to happen. See, somewhere during this sermon, in a sarcastic and snotty fashion, one of you who are married to the person who is next to you, you're going to lean over and say, I give thanks for you. They'll know what you mean. You're being snotty. Don't do that. That's a mean trick. No, when you give thanks, you have to sincerely give thanks. It's not, you know, I give thanks for you. 
I'm praying that God's grace works and pushes back against you. You see what? You see what? You see how we take Bible stuff and instantly we we transform it into something that we bludgeon each other with. Okay. Now, several weeks ago, here's how I'm gonna try to wrap part one up today. We'll see if I can do this or not. Several weeks ago, I was talking to you about how the mercy seat, and and really, this is a very poor illustration because. Um, this little short stool, if you will, I made the throne, I made the seat of mercy. Oh, I think the date on this teaching is probably three weeks ago, three Sundays ago. Let's see. Last Sunday was Pastor Jameson, Sunday before was Pastor Brenda. It was the Sunday before that, I think, or maybe two. And where I tried to convey that in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, read Exodus 25 through 35, the description of the tabernacle and the temple. For those of you that are new in faith, for those of you that aren't, then just indulge me. But in that innermost place called the Holy of Holies was a place that only a priest could go once a year. And blood would be sprinkled. Uh, now, on the surface of the ark, uh, there was the ark of the covenant. It was a box that contained two or three things that were unique to the history of and sort of the spiritual verbal artifacts of the people of God. There was a lid on it, and on the lid it was covered in gold. And on the four corners were seraphim. These creatures we're going to read about in a moment. These seraphim, multi-winged, multi-faced beings. And they're facing inward toward the mercy seat. And it said, okay, if, if this, we're going to make this the mercy the, the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, just for a moment. It said that God would come and be enthroned above, watch that, above the mercy seat, not on it. But there was a throne of God that was above the mercy seat. And in that teaching, I built the case, I read probably 15 passages of Scripture, where the mercy seat, not accident, it's vacant throughout the Old Testament. It requires the blood of the Lamb sprinkled once a year so the high priest could go in, because watch this. Without the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat, the throne of holy becomes a force that will kill and destroy. Everyone knew it. You hit, go, I'll give you the link to the teaching. Email me. I'll give you, well, these notes aren't any good. I'll go ahead and send you these notes so you'll know what's coming. But Tom at New Hope Online. Tom at New Hope Online. And I'll, and I'll send you that stuff. But he's in... Uh, that without the, the blood on that mercy seat, God being enthroned, holy would kill them. And I, and I read to you several passages in the Old Testament where that was the clear understanding. But what happens in the New Testament as we read Ephesians, Hebrews, and the book of Revelation is that Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and is seated. Now I'm going to do, go from this being the mercy seat to being the picture of, of the heavenlies. And it says there is the throne of God... And it says he was seated. He took a seat at the right hand of the Father. I have it in the front of it. You know, however it is literally, right hand is a poetic reference to most significant position. But there at the throne of God, the mercy seat is now occupied. Hebrews chapter 4 says, now I want you to boldly approach the throne of what? Grace. Everybody say grace. What does grace do? It pushes back against sin. You see, prior to the lamb being in the mercy seat, the throne is a throne of holy. 
okay, is the throne of holy. Holy does one thing to sin. It kills it unless there's mercy present. The presence of mercy, the mercy seat, it transforms a throne of holy into a throne of grace that redeems me and transforms me. Beloved, our Father is indeed approachable. But what does that have to do with anything? Uh, Hannah, go to Isaiah chapter 6, please. I think we're going to start around verse, well, let's start right there, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, okay? As my mentor says, God only has one throne. High and lifted up, uh, lofty and exalted. That's a different translation than the only sanctified and anointed New American Standard Bible, but we'll roll with it. With the train of his robe <laughs> filling the temple, verse 2. The seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to the other, watch this, saying, Holy, 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 the Lord is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Pay close attention to what these seraphim are saying. Some 700 to 750 years Isaiah is written before what we know to be Revelation 4 and 5. Watch that. In the Old Testament, before the death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, Isaiah has this vision. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I'm going to, one thing, really, I'm closer to being done than you think. So hang with me. Uh, next verse, and it says, and the foundations and thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke, which is the glory of God, okay? And watch what he says, okay? Next verse, please. No, no next verse, that's all I get, okay? I just got the red light, okay? So that must have been where I told you to stop. But he goes on to say, woe am I. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, I'm about to die. That's what happened when you confront holy and you're a person of sin. Now, I want you, if you would, to sort of fast forward with me to Revelation chapter 4, verse, Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 4, verses 9 and 10. This is 700 years later and something last night and this morning just pierced my heart and it's where we're going to land and we're going to stop, I believe, today, okay? Now, here we go. And when the four living creatures, Revelation 4, verses 9 and 10, when the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, okay? By the way, I need to back up. I just realized I need to back up and show you that the same thing is happening there that is happening in the Old Testament with Isaiah, and let me get that reference up to you. Um, one quick second. Because you need to see the verses so you can understand. Remember in Isaiah, he's, he's heard them saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. And I believe it's verse 8, and it is verse 8 in chapter 4 of Revelation that says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around within and day and night, they do not cease to say, Watch, it happens. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, 
who, is, who was and who is and is to come. Then the next verse, and when the living creatures, here's, but they're saying something else that he records. Give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. Glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. Okay, he goes, then the 24 elders begin to do something. But the important notion of there is why don't you record them? Please hear me. This is where we're going to land today. Why doesn't Isaiah record them giving thanks? It records holy. It records honor. It records glory. You see, the smoke was the glory of the Lord. Why doesn't it record that? Now, if you'll just hang with me. In Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to back up. I've got to get this one point across today. Why doesn't Isaiah record them saying glory, uh, honor, and thanks to in declaring this is what we're doing? Remember, thanksgiving is the means by which grace is released. And the grace can only be released if the throne of holy has a seat of mercy that is occupied by the Lamb. Mercy makes holy into grace. And I have two notes. Grace is the force of holy working against sin. Watch. Grace takes holy, please get this, and makes it work for me, not against me. Without mercy, excuse me, mercy takes holy and makes grace work for me. Without mercy, no one, no one achieves the standard. Paul would say that. No one can achieve the standard without the Lamb. If it wasn't for the Lamb of God paying for your sin and my sin, holy would kill us all. But because that mercy seat is not empty, because when John writes, he says, Man, the power and possibility of the Word of God, the scroll at the beginning of chapter 5 of Revelation. He said, no one was worthy to open it. And the elder said, take another look. You missed something. He looks back, and how can he miss the lamb? And he sees the lamb, and it says the lamb, watch, stepped in between the seraphim and the throne of God. Let's go back to the Old Testament. I want to say it again. The Lamb in Revelation 5, having ascended, Revelation 5 says, bearing the marks of one slain. Revelation 5 said, heaven is marked by some manifestation of the Lamb of God arriving at the throne of God after his death and resurrection, and he suddenly steps in between, and something happens. Ephesians and Hebrews says, the Father said, take a seat. What seat? There's only one seat indicated, and it's a seat of mercy. When he sits in that seat of mercy, the force of holy that kills now becomes the force of grace that gives life. Can you just let that sink in for a minute? Mercy is what makes holy work for me and not kill me. Mercy makes a throne of holy into a throne of grace. But why is all of that important? Now, why couldn't they say glory, honor, and thanks in the Old Testament? 
because thanksgiving is the means by which grace is released. If you've ever paid attention to me, please pay attention right here. This throne of holy in the Old Testament, the seraphim couldn't step up and say, we give thanks. Thanksgiving unleashes grace. That would have unleashed holy. But as you come to the New Testament in Revelation 4 and 5, beloved, I wish before I die, I'm going to be able to hire some type of animator that can animate this everything that's happening in Revelation 4 and 5, because it's overlapping and happening all at once. And in that moment, as John is recording, and then I saw, and then I saw, it doesn't mean, and then it happens. It means, and then I saw it. He's just simply trying to interpret this flash of input on who he is into some sense that we can get it. But he says, as I looked and saw one between the throne and the seraphim, take his seat, if you will, at the right hand of the Father. Suddenly, when mercy took its seat, holy became grace, and the seraphim says, now there is something I can release. Please hear me. If they would have unleashed holy in the Old Testament, it would have killed everybody. But when the lamb finally steps in, something comes from the lips of the seraphim that Isaiah doesn't record. Now, I'm going to give you these words. We've studied these, and I, I get this. Brenda says, honey, you make my head hurt. I said, well, that is not my intent. So just pretend we're sitting in my home having a cup of coffee. We talk about glory. Glory is one of those indefinable terms that's out there. If I asked everyone here to give me a definition of glory... Many of them, we'd probably get some similar things, but there would be 15 or 20 different. Glory, if you read the definition, it is the radiant splendor or majesty of a thing. In this case, God. We're radiating God. Well, how do we radiate God? How do we shine? How does he emanate through us? By reaching to holy. We can now reach holy because mercy makes that opportunity. Did you understand when Jeremiah, together with Paul, writes, in the Old Testament, I couldn't write it on their heart. It would have killed them. I couldn't write it on their heart. But once the lamb steps in between, then the written word of God on tablets of stone and scrolls are, is now imprinted in their heart, and God calls that glory. One of the difficult things is the word glory means opinion. But here's, as I, as I wrote these, these definitions down, let me see. Glory is God's opinion about God. What happens when we accept his opinion about him inside of me? God says when I accept his opinion about him, he begins to write that word, the word of God, on my heart, not on tablets of stone. What happens when the word of God begins written on my heart is glory in me and through me. Oh, yeah, those are good right there. Thank you, Hannah. Glory is God's opinion about himself or just this morning. Honor is my opinion about God. Thanks is my opinion about his opinion. Just take a picture of that with your phone and, and just look at it again when you go home, okay? 
and it releases grace. I want to say that again. God's, and see, this sounds so weird. It's like, bro, please, can you just give me something to work with tomorrow? I am. I am. And here's the deal. Thanksgiving is essential to transformation. Why? Because thanksgiving is the point at which I am unleashing uh, my opinion about his opinion. God, your opinion, your word is final, and so I offer thanks, I release grace into my life. Thanksgiving is a response to his glory. Has anybody wondered, it says how the angels, they gave glory, honor, and power in the following verse, but Thanksgiving, it says here, the, about the elders, it says power. How do you give glory to God? He is glory. See, both the closing verses of Romans 11 and then the opening part of Hebrews chapter 1 says everything is from him, through him, and to him. Uh, let's see. Johnny DeLashman, where are you? Are you here? I call, I'm calling on him. He's normally sitting right there. He's not here? He's not here. Okay. He, I picked on him because he's the person with the most kids that I know. Uh, let's see. Okay, Drew, you sit on the front row. Too bad for you. You made a mistake. Your two boys, Austin and Tanner, do they buy you a Christmas present? Typically. Are you excited to receive it? Now, they are both budding teenagers, so they may have a job. But prior to that, where did they get the money to buy your present? That's right. Here. And then he acts really excited on Christmas morning. Wow, I'm so over. Thank you. How thoughtful of you. I can't believe you bought me a $25 gift. And they could have said back, well, you'd have put more in, you would have got more out. <laughs> How do we give glory to God? When we're bringing him, Paul would say that Acts 17 when he was trying to explain worship to God to secularly minded people. He says, and when we, to him, I can tell you who this God is. In him we live and move and have our being. This unknown God, I know this God and worship him. And he says, if, as if by worship we can bring him anything since he needs nothing. So how are these angels, they give him glory, honor, and thanks. And why does that work? Please get this. The moment that I begin to give him glory, that is God's opinion about himself, that means I'm agreeing with God about him. But honor comes to the point that, Father, I'm, that's the word that means status. Okay, Timao. Lord, I'm giving your opinion preeminence in me. Everybody get that? That's what honor. I'm giving you first place. Now, see, here's where we get messed up because we're so influenced by all of the idol worship and cult of the Old Testament and still, well, what kind of God is that that would make you do it? The God that says, if you will just share my opinion about me and about you, watch what happens. Thanksgiving is the point at which we say, Father... I invite your opinion, hallelujah, to come from a throne of grace and penetrate my life. If you finish reading, it says we are transformed from glory to glory. 
Beloved, I want to say this. If you meet a person that is not growing, being transformed, or changing, you're often meeting a person that is not thankful. You want to transform your home? Start giving thanks. As a matter of fact, a week from tomorrow will be November 1st. We're going to do one more time, 30 days of thanksgiving. I'm going to offer some little 10, 15-minute devotional every morning, all the way through thanksgiving. Something that calls us to offer thanks. I challenge you starting today. You can wait until a week from tomorrow. That'll just be the formal moment. But I challenge you when you leave this place on your way home, I challenge you to think of the people in your inner circle, which is family first, close friends. I challenge you to go into the workplace this mor- tomorrow and in not some way that, that, that's, that, that, that's flattery or shallow because, see, culture offers that. But flattery doesn't bring glory. Flattery doesn't unleash grace. But if you walk into someone who works with you or works for you, now granted, if you're going to the person for whom you work, perhaps they will see that as an expression of manipulation. Oh, you're sucking up, trying to do whatever. Can I give you the courage to press on beyond their opinion because you're not after theirs, you're after God's? And if you want God's, the force of God's opinion to flow into that workplace, you may very well be the catalyst that in that place of business through which everyone else is blessed. As a matter of fact, when God first calls people to be a priest to the planet, he says, through you, the whole world will be blessed. Start in your home. Start, how long has it been since you've authentically, I mean start thinking about it. I don't mean shallow words. Did you know something? My wife and I work. We've worked together for 40 years in ministry. She's always had a job, always, always contributes. I mean, we have one checking account. As a matter of fact, I've gotten questions about that recently. Perhaps I can come back to that by a couple that said, well, I have mine and and they have theirs and whatever, and what do you think about that? And so I offered my opinion, and you'll just have to hang on for me to come back and give you that opinion. But we have one checking account. And whenever we go out to eat somewhere, she always beats me to it. She'll say, at the the check comes, she'll say, thank you for dinner. I said, you paid for it as much as I did. That's both of our money that went there. I said, But there's something that happens, and I love that she does that, and she always beats me to it. Matter of fact, I plan to try and beat her to it, but she still beats me to it. Thank you for that. And she means it. You won't find a place, you won't find an occasion, uh, if you visit our home, and we've prepared, we both like to cook, but no, I probably, I guess the majority of the time, what, 75% of the time, you probably do 75% more of the cooking, right? That would be fair. But there's never a moment Sincerely, when I say, thank you. I, I, and, and I did that very early on. And then I discovered that just words weren't enough. Um, early, when I say early, I mean like year one. When I came from a southern home and she was, at that, that point, giving thanks was truly an act of worship because it was horrible. <laughs> she'll tell you that. No, she'll tell you that. Worst cook on the planet. Worst cook on the planet. But then I got to where I always say thank you, and then I just walk away while she cleaned the table and put the food away and washed the dishes. Ah, stupid husband. But she helped me learn. 
So I said, thank you for that. Well, if you were really thankful, do you think you could help me clean the table and put the... Yes, thank you. I, thank you for that too, for helping me beyond the limitations of my stupidity. Beloved, what I did with Dan really coincidentally, accident, I did not plan that. I did not. I was really standing here thinking, thank you for that. See, last week, Pastor Rhea called me afterwards. She says, tell, tell, me, tell, me, tell me what you said again. I, I must have been during the years when I was in exile in Ennis, Texas, um, that I said that for the benefit of Pastor Buck, which who you hear over there. Um, I said, she, said, you, you, she said, something changed in the service last week when you just walked out and lifted up your hand and said, Father, I thank you for eyes and ears and fingers, toes, air, and lungs to breathe in. It was a sincere prayer that I pray frequently. Well, why did I pray it publicly? I had a sense of sort of this, a spiritual type of, just confusion, a lack of clarity, I know how to clear it. To come and begin at the most base and foundational of things that I can find. You see, when Philippians gives us eight things to do, but one of the things that's sort of a thing, it says, listen, if you're having a problem with being ruled by anxiety and there's eight things there that are worthy of study, but I love you get to number six or seven, it says, if, 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 if there's anything worthy of praise, come on. If life is crushing you, and in Philippians 4 it was, Paul was talking about that. When he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we totally take that verse out of context because he sets up why we can. He says, just um, find, find something to be thankful for. Why? Because when I'm thankful, it unleashes the force of grace from this throne into my life working against the forces of sin, whether that force is disruption, disease, whatever it may be, working against my life. Now, the two things I want to say, grace is the force of holy working against sin. Grace is when holy works for me rather than against me. Now, as children of God, you can come to a throne of holy by way of the seat of mercy. And when you do, mercy makes holy into grace that works for me, not against me. How do I get that? Thanksgiving. 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 We live in a wine bag nation. We whine and murmur about everything. Typically politics. Everywhere. Well, they were, the governments of that. You know, I said, great. Call it what it is, but when you're done, I want to ask this question. Have you spent an equal amount of time giving thanks? Watch. Giving thanks for the United States of America. Hold on. Before you say amen, I am not making a patriotic statement. I'm making an eternal one. Father, I give thanks. I give thanks for this nation that I live in. By contrast to other nations, we're not oppressed. I can worship. We can do this. Is it perfect? Is everything right? Are, you know, blah, blah, blah. No. But Father, I come with a genuine heart of thanks. And watch grace flow into that moment. You see, when I said we're going to pray for our new president and pray four things according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, one of which is thanksgiving, when it says give thanks especially for those who are kings and rule, 
I had people send me emails and say, I can't believe you're giving thanks for Joe Biden and the, and the Democratic platform. Why are you doing that? Um, the Bible says so. <laughs> Listen, I had pastors writing me and saying, I can't believe you're doing that. You know, he represents something just entirely evil. And one of these guys happened to be somebody that when they were arguing for Donald Trump in the last cycle and say, well, this guy's an adulterer, he's done this and did that, they say, well, and this same person says, I want you to know that if God could take those kings of Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar and blah, 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 the Old Testament and use them, he can certainly take Donald Trump. My question is, what happened to that theology once somebody you didn't like landed in office? Because if you believe Donald Trump had evil, well, Joe Biden is even more evil. Well, then by your previous declared theology, God should be able to do more through Biden and Trump because he's got more evil to push back against. Everybody got what I'm saying? Come on. So when we say, Father, I give thanks for President Biden and Vice President Harris, why would I give thanks? Because it invites grace. Grace that pushes back. Grace that clears a space for them to think, for us to think, for them to see. You want grace. I'm not giving thanks for them. Great. Then let me tell you another thing to do. Go home, find a tree in your yard, cut a branch off it about that big around, trim the branches and the leaves off, cut it about that length, sit down regularly, take it, and bang yourself in the head, okay? Just about 30 times a day because that's essentially what you're doing. I'm not going to give thanks. Okay. The devil doesn't have to beat you up. You're doing a great job yourself. That's your message for today. That's your message. You want transformation? You need glory. How do we get glory? Thanksgiving. 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 End of sermon number one. I'll get my review in a few moments from my wife. This doesn't have an altar call to run to. Because the repenting you need to make probably will happen in your car on the way home with the person you're riding with. And it will go something like this. Boy, Pastor Tom got all up in the middle of my business today. And I realized that I've taken so many things for granted. By the way, listen to me, listen, look this way. Do you know what a failure to give thanks means? It means, especially to her, that anything she does for me I deserve it. I don't have to say thank you. I'm entitled. A failure to say thanks says I'm entitled. Here's what we'll pick up next week. You know, the one being created that blew that more than any other that I've just given you, the absolute description of the essence of his existence is the devil. You don't have to say thanks. He's entitled to everything. I will send the hill of the Lord and be like the most high. It's what got him thrown out of heaven. Look, how do you think that's going to work out for you? I don't need to be thankful. Great. Don't. Just go beat yourself in the head with a stick. I love thankful people. Why? There's just a, there's just a Grace that flows out of that moment. Stop on your way. During this season of Thanksgiving, 
When you're going out of Kroger, Publix, Food City, whatever it may be, that checkout person with whom you rarely make contact, first of all, don't be on your phone when you're checking out. Don't be on your phone going through a drive-thru to pick up your food. Take a moment when you get there to actually look that person. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that's that's good. No, treat them like a human. Watch what happens. I do this. You should see that. Want to look them in the face and say, thank you. I know these last year has been incredibly difficult. You're in there facing with, with, with a disease, a pandemic, and it's really weird. And a lot of people just don't even want to go to work. Thank you. Thank you. You should see the response of these people. It's like they're speechless. They get tears in their eyes. I mean, it's just absolutely overwhelming. I love it. The checkout person. Listen, thank you. Just thank you. Well, for what? Just thank you for serving, for being here. I know it's your job to you, but thank you. The person that brings you your food in the restaurant, leave them a tip, not a track with a gospel message. Money, money, money. And no less than 15%. Grace won't flow through a tip less than 15%. I'll show you that in the Bible next week. I absolutely made that up. All right, stand up. I'm done. Okay, that wasn't too bad. Here's what we're going to do. Um, see, see what happens when that guy plays? I just love that. You know? Suddenly, just feels like Jesus, maybe a little closer. Just hang on. Pastor Steve, Pastor Don, Pastor Matt, Pastor Buck. I would invite my wife. Pastor Rhea will already be up here somewhere. There she is. Could you gentlemen come down, please? I'm going to need you to sort of get here in the middle. Can we light it up a little more so people can see? That camera needs to be able to see the people I'm talking about. So just come here a little closer in the middle so that center camera can see you guys and pick you up. Now I'm going to go so you can face the camera and then see your face. Oh, we don't have any screens. Forget that, okay? Uh, I was going to say you can see them on the screen, but you can't. I guess something's gone. I've got that. You couldn't, Dan, you couldn't fix that in between playing all those wonderful songs. <laughs> He does everything, by the way. All the tech, everything that works around here, he's involved in making it all work. Uh, you've been my neighbor for almost two years. Three? You've grown on me. <laughs> and I remember the first time I met with you and sat on the porch. I've shared some of that. But during one of the most stressful and spiritually demanding seasons of my life, God moved you in next to me. And I can't tell you the number of times that you've sat with me on the front porch and had a cup of coffee. You've taken a sip, pulled it away, and absolutely breathed words of eternity as you've just spoken in the very easy, casual way you represent the purposes of God. 
that touched my heart. And boy, I just can't be thankful enough for a neighbor like you. I cannot be thankful enough. <clears throat> Buck, Pastor Buck. And, and really, I had something separate, but I'm going to group you guys together. Thank you. You've done it for a decade longer than Pastor Matt. That's because you're getting very old like me. And um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for making me feel like what I see in the Word of God matters and is special. The two of you having sought me out for now nearly two, two decades and over a decade, and you guys are so amazing and anointed and insightful, and the fact that you would share or say the things with me as you have scores or hundreds of times affirming the next little glimpse that I call you in the middle of the night or early morning or sometime. And the way you've received that and been a voice, you have an earned doctorate, you have two master's degree, you're young and cool, I'm not, and you have degrees and I don't. And you don't know how many times your voices of excitement and reception have legitimized that sense of my call when I've got the echo of the Cub Scout leader saying, you have no business what you're doing. I give thanks to God for your voice. I give thanks to God. My brother of 40 years. How long? 42 years. Well, I was close. 43 years. Thank you. Notice that I was about to say what I was going to say anyways, but notice the two people correcting me. That would be my wife and Steve. And I was about to say before anything happens, thank you for being a version of my wife outside my home. I, I was honestly going to say that. They are two of the most disciplined people. They get up every morning and will pray and read and journal every day, every day, every day. I'm more nonlinear than that. But then, I mean, discipline. And the fact that you have hung around for 40 years and continue to affirm and believe in the vision we share is... You've, you've, you've spent a lifetime. That, that is, where do you find a friend like that? I thank you. Did, can I just ask this? Did, it, did you have any sense? See, it's not just nice words. It's not flattery. That's not what this is. Flattery doesn't do that. Genuine thanks. Be fearless about it. See, some of you are afraid, and let me just unmask one thing, in your marriage of giving thanks to your spouse because they've been a crud ball recently and you fear that if you say, 
thank you for some positive aspect, that that's sort of legitimizing the crappy stuff they've done and the fact that they haven't dealt honestly. Forget about that. Grace will work on them in ways you can. You want them to fix the part they're not seeing? Just walk up, and they're going to know what you're doing now after this sermon. You know, honey, I give, oh, come on, honey, I give thanks for you. 99% of you, I get, don't, don't add that. See, someone at your workplace, and if it's not authentic, they'll know it's flattery, and flattery means nothing. That's from hell. Matthew 5 says that. Let your yeas be yea, your nays be nay. Everything else is from where? The evil one. Not flattery. Father, may we be a thankful people. We're on the edge of a manifestation of glory here that's going to ambush us. And we're going to try to encapsulate it, make a formula out of it, or wonder where it came from. But Father, it will be by reason of a group of thankful people who gather together. That they didn't walk into this room and find an opportunity to give thanks. They were giving thanks before they got here. They've left a trail of thanks and glory and grace where they've been during the week. Father, there are some facing incredible circumstances right now, and the thought of giving thanks for their current status in life is so foreign. But Father, may they leap across the restrictions of a limited perception and say, God, I need your grace in this moment, and I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't get Paul giving thanks in that prison at midnight, offering up a song of thanks, and then suddenly the doors open. He could give thanks because he knew what grace does. Grace comes in. It blows up. It blows back boundaries, even when those boundaries are prison doors. We need that in our life. Make us that people. I love you. I praise you. I bless you. I ask it in Jesus. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.